Our scripture is from the book of Daniel, the second chapter. Daniel 2. The Terror of Dreams. And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams, wherewith his sleep was troubled and his sleep brake from him. Then the king commanded to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream, and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The thing is gone from me. If ye will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, ye shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made a dunghill. But if ye show the dream and the interpretation thereof, ye shall receive of me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation of it. The king answered and said, I know of certainty that ye would gain the time, because ye see the thing is gone from me. But if ye will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you. For ye have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me till the time be changed. Therefore tell me the dream, and I shall know that ye can show me the interpretation thereof. The Chaldeans answered before the king and said, There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore there is no king, lord, nor ruler that asketh such things at any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. And it is a rare thing that the king requireth. There is none other that can show it before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this cause the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain and they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Arioch made the thing known to Daniel. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time, and that he would show the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who hast given me wisdom and might, and hast made known unto me now what we desired of thee. 
For thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went in unto Arioch, whom the king had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus unto him, Destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show unto the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and said thus unto him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen, and the interpretation thereof? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. There is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known the king to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy better these. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed. What should come to pass hereafter? And he that revealeth secrets maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living, but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king, and that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. Thou, O king, sawest and behold a grave image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together, and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, and the place was found, and no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. And we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven hath he given into thine hands, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces, and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with fiery clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken or brittle. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. But they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom, 
which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain and the interpretation thereof sure. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. The king answered and said unto Daniel, and said, Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods, and a Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. Then the king made Daniel a great man, and gave him many great gifts, and made him ruler of the whole province of Babylon, and chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. Then Daniel requested of the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. This chapter is a very timely one in that it speaks to problems of our day and the pretensions of our age. It is hard for us to imagine the immensity of the power and wealth of Nebuchadnezzar. His was a vast empire that ruled over the civilized world and controlled through trade much of the world beyond his borders. The dream of his empire was to create a one world without God a one-world paradise based upon humanistic hopes. For this reason, the various conquered people were broken up and scattered throughout the empire that they might lose their racial and linguistic identities and being merged into the peoples might become ultimately all of one racial and linguistic allegiance, an integrated world empire. Nebuchadnezzar's power was total power. He could give the word and any group of people could be wiped out overnight. He could say the word and a city could be leveled to the ground. He could command it and vast buildings and cities could be erected out of nothingness. His wealth was beyond imagination. Moreover, his position in terms of Babylonian thinking was a very profoundly religious one. For Babylonian thinking, the universe was an evolving one. And the real power, the real divinity in the universe was at the high point of power in history. The evolution, therefore, of the universe and of the divinity of the gods within the universe manifested itself in each age, incarnated itself in the highest point of power, so that the incarnation of all the power in the universe 
was present in each age in the dominant power or person of that age. And this for the day was Nebuchadnezzar, the high point of the power in the universe. Imagine, therefore, the total power of this man, the wealth. His word governed absolutely. And everything that he commanded became so. But he went to bed one night, verse 29 tells us, and his mind turned with very troubled thoughts of the future. He commanded the present, but what about tomorrow? Tomorrow he could be dead. And tomorrow his son or grandson or great-grandson could prove to be incompetent. And everything he worked crumble and disappear. And this high point of power could cease to be Nebuchadnezzar and his line and could be someone else. After all, the Tower of Babel once represented this dream and it was gone. Assyria represented this dream and it was gone. And perhaps tomorrow Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon too could disappear. And he fell asleep. A man with such total power can, when he is awake, say the word, and the whole world is moved at his word. But let him go to sleep, and he is no longer in command. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar faced, the terror of dreams. And in his dream, all the uncertainty that this world does represent for humanistic pretensions came to the fore. And his dream filled him with terror, with absolute terror, with the knowledge that he was here today and gone tomorrow, and all his dreams would crumble. And when he awoke, he turned with hatred on all the wise men, his brain trust, the scientists, the religious practitioners and priests, the astrologers, all of them. They who day by day assured him how great, how marvelous his power was, and he summoned them. And the hatred, the anger he felt at his frustration, at the terror of his dreams, he took out on them. And he said, I dreamed a dream. Tell me what I dreamed and what the interpretation of it is. And they said, as any psychoanalyst would say today, Tell me your dream, and I will give you the interpretation thereof. And Nebuchadnezzar declared, The thing is gone for me. That is, the matter has been fully determined by me. You are going to tell me what I dreamed as well as the interpretation. The frustration Nebuchadnezzar felt at his impotence, he now vented upon these men. 
If he will not tell me the dream and the interpretation thereof, he shall all die. What good is a brain trust? What good is my dream of an empire, a one-world paradise? If when I go to sleep, a nightmarish terror can overwhelm me, if the threat of death for my dreams and myself and my empire can overwhelm me. And if I am to die, then you too are going to die. If you do not tell me, he said, you shall perish. At this point, they talked back to him. After all, they'd been sentenced to death, so it was safe. They couldn't lose any more. It is a rare thing, an unreasonable thing, that the king requireth, and there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. The order went out, and the word reached Daniel. Daniel and his friends were also included in the death sentence. This was the first they'd heard of it. And Daniel told the captain of the guards who was to do the executing that he wanted permission from the king to have another day so that he could give him the, the dream and the interpretation thereof. The permission was granted. And Daniel asked his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to be in earnest prayer with him that God would grant them the interpretation that he and his fellows should not perish. We can go to God with such requests for our survival. And that's exactly what Daniel had in mind. He had no desire to die. And they prayed very earnestly to God that night, and Daniel in a vision was given the dream and the interpretation thereof, and he went to the king, to Nebuchadnezzar. And he spoke to him. And he told Nebuchadnezzar, Thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed, what should come to pass hereafter. You went to sleep that night brooding upon what should come to pass in the future. And he that revealeth secrets maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. And I myself, Daniel said, have no wisdom any more than any living. But it is of the grace of God and of his revelation that I make known to thee the thoughts of thy heart and the interpretation. Your dream, O king, was of a great image whose brightness was excellent and whose form towering over the earth was terrifying. And the head of the image was of fine gold, his breasts and his arms of silver, 
his belly and his thighs of brass, and his legs of iron, and his feet part of iron and part of clay. And as he saw this fearful and terrifying image dominating the whole earth, you saw a stone, a rock, cut without hands, rise and smite the image and shatter it, shatter it to dust, so that it came as the chaff of the summer threshing floor, and the wind carried them away, but no place was found for them. And this stone, this rock, grew and grew and became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. And we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. This image, this great figure, said Daniel, represents man's dream. Man's dream of a one world without God. A great one world paradise. And if God is at all included in these humanistic pretensions of man, it is merely that God is at best on the sidelines, a sweet soul who gives everybody a prize and who's there to pat the winner on the back. History is dominated by man. And this dream, this dream of a one world paradise without God, is shared by four great empires. You, O Nebuchadnezzar, are that head of gold. You represent the epitome, the greatness the humanistic splendor of this dream, the finest manifestation of it, humanistically speaking. And your empire, Babylon, represents the highest, the finest, the maturest development of this attempt to create a human paradise without God. But you shall be followed by another empire, which by comparison is of silver. And subsequently, later on in Daniel, the identity of this empire is made known, the Medo-Persian Empire. And then a third empire shall arise. comparable to brass in relationship to the other two. And again, later, the identity of this empire is revealed. It is the Macedonian Empire of Alexander the Great, who, like his forebears, dreamed of this one-world order and set out to make it real, moved eastward, made even India, or segments, vast segments of it, part of this empire, took his men and merchants with him, his soldiers, 
and had mass marriages so that there would be a mixture of East and West. One world integration. A one world language. And let Greek for centuries to come as the language of business throughout the civilized world and even beyond. And it left its impact even to this day in that the language of the New Testament is Koine Greek, the business Greek of the civilized world. Moreover, he dreamed of a one-world religion and himself as the son of the gods. And this gave way to a fourth empire, finally, of mixed iron and clay. And this later is identified as the Roman Empire, whose principle of unity for this one world order was Roman law, one law for all peoples and nations, and all of them defined themselves in terms of Roman law. But God declared in this vision, this humanistic dream which has this head of gold with all its fine dreams and pretensions has basically feet of clay. And even as iron and clay cannot mix, and even as a statue, though its head be of gold, is very shaky to say the least if its feet are of clay with all the gold the silver and the iron carried on feet of brittle clay so is this dream of a one world order of paradise without God iron and clay cannot mix nor man to man apart from Christ and so this splendid and terrifying image has feet of clay. And it is from this image that we get the expression, feet of clay. But a fifth empire shall arise. A stone not made of hands or a rock not made of hands, the rock of ages, Jesus Christ. The image of a stone without hands is a familiar one throughout the Old Testament. Whenever and wherever the Hebrews worshipped as they made their wilderness journey, their altar was to be a natural rock, a rock not made of hands to symbolize something they did not make, but which God gave Jesus Christ, who was their altar. And thus the rock that was to destroy this one world order is Jesus Christ, who grows and grows and grows until he covers the earth. 
is the great fifth monarchy. We are fifth monarchy men, citizens of the fifth monarchy, which shall overcome the world. The dream of these empires was that they were going to control history. And the dream of the empire today of the one world order is that they shall govern and control history. But what this vision portrayed was God as the determiner of all things. The purpose of these empires and of this one world dream was that Man is to regain paradise, to reestablish paradise on earth without God. The fifth monarchy indeed shall usher in paradise, but it is as a byproduct. Because the goal of Christ in his coming and the goal of the fifth monarchy is not to fulfill the desires of man's heart as man dreams of a paradise, but to reestablish communion with God. Man was in communion with God in paradise, and this is what made the Garden of Eden paradise, because there was unbroken communion between God and man. And man, by his sin, destroyed that communion. And Jesus Christ came as the representative man to keep God's law perfectly and as the innocent one, the unblemished Lamb of God, to make atonement for man's sins. as the representative man to keep God's law perfectly and as the innocent one, the unblemished Lamb of God, to make atonement for man's sins. And by his atoning death on the cross and by his resurrection, Jesus Christ re-established communion with God. This reestablished communion is that which we celebrate in the sacrament of the Lord's table. This is what we declare every time we pray in Jesus' name. The communion has been reestablished. And because it has been reestablished, we have the promise of paradise regained as a byproduct when the fifth monarchy shall regain the whole world. This then is the meaning of the vision of Nebuchadnezzar. The humanists in their dreams of a one world order find themselves confronted with a terror of dreams, 
so that even as they come closer and closer, they believe to the realization of their dreams, they seek escape from this terror that haunts them more and more. In alcoholism, in narcotics, in sleeping tablets, in LSD, in marijuana, in everything to escape from themselves because their every moment is haunted and their sleep tortured by the waiting terror. The knowledge that history is not in their hands and the government is not upon their shoulders, but the government is upon his shoulders, who is the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Nebuchadnezzar, when he heard the interpretation, having been filled with the terror of dreams, was so overwhelmed to know that there was meaning to history beyond terror, fell down and worshipped Daniel and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. His relief was great, but there was yet no real faith. He had momentarily evaded the problem. He had not answered it. But for us to have escaped from the terror of dreams through Jesus Christ as our Redeemer. There is the blessed assurance that we can take hands off our lives and commit them into his keeping. That we who cannot predestine our tomorrows have the blessed assurance that they are in God's hands who do it all things well. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee that we can commit ourselves into Thy keeping and cast our every care upon Thee, knowing Thou carest for us. Give us grace, therefore, our Father, day by day, to walk by faith, to walk in the blessed assurance that thou, Lord, art very near, and thou wilt never leave us nor forsake us. We thank thee, our Father, that our tomorrows are determined not by the wicked conspiracies of men, but by thy throne, by thine omnipotence. And that he who governs all things is our Lord and our Redeemer. Our God, we thank thee. In Jesus' name, amen.
Are there any questions now? Yes. What the wise men had in mind there was uh, this. For them, the gods were the formless powers within the universe, a blind chance or necessity, which was beyond man, which momentarily incarnated itself in the highest point of power, but was ultimately ungovernable as far as the future was concerned. So that for the moment, Nebuchadnezzar represented the highest point of power. But what the gods, these blind forces, were going to do, no man could determine. Now their word for God was Baalim, the same as we find in the Old Testament in Canaan, Baal worship, B-A-A-L and B-A-A-L-I-M. Now Baalim doesn't refer necessarily to persons. When we say God, we think of persons. But Baalim encompassed all the natural forces and powers within nature. And it meant lords so that it meant the ruling, governing forces within nature, blind, insentient, impersonal forces. So that when they said the gods, this is what they had in mind. Yes. Not necessarily. We shall see that Nebuchadnezzar finally had an exalted position in the sight of God in that he did become a believer. But what this meant was that, humanly speaking, here was the refined quintessence of this dream, the highest form of it. And Nebuchadnezzar, well, humanistically speaking, the idea was, while the, this dream looks good intellectually, and when you consider it intellectually, it looks like pure gold, a perfect system. As you get down to the reality, its foundation, the feet, it's of clay. So that, in a sense, what God was saying is that uh, all men's pipe dreams about what he plans to do are good in theory. They're good up here at the top, but they don't have a foundation in reality. The head was of gold. It was a foolproof system as long as it didn't make contact with reality, and then it had feet of clay. Uh, 
the fourth empire was Rome. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Macedonia, Rome. Yes. Yes. We will come to that. Uh, we are told later on in Daniel of the other empires that shall arise to continue this dream. Now, yes. Now, Paul tells us, of course, as the whole Bible makes clear, that history sees these pretensions of man up to the fall of Jerusalem, which marks the end of the Old Testament period. And God says in the Old Testament, I will overturn, overturn, overturn until he comes, whose right it is. So all these empires with their dream of a great humanistic order, God overturned to prepare the way for the coming of Christ. Now, in the New Testament age, which we are in now, the Christian era, these dreams will again take shape. And Paul says in Hebrews that there shall be another great shaking in the latter part of Hebrews 12. The things which are shall be shaken, so that the things which cannot be shaken shall alone remain. So we are now in this second great era of dreams of a one-world paradise apart from God, and we will come to what is said about the shaking of these. Yes. They had communion with God through Christ because the altar as unhewn stone represented Christ. The lamb on the altar represented Christ. At every point, it was Christ before his coming as typified in these types was the ground of communion so that all their communion was always through Christ. They had full communion with God. Yes, because it is uh, man's pretension that he can be his own God. He is going to erect the temple. He is going to determine exactly what goes into it. And it is going to be nature, not God. And man is going to take nature and control it and absolutely govern it so that nature is going to be man's captive. This is the meaning of the temple of understanding. Yes. Yeah. 
Yes. The progression was this in the modern era. To get away from God and his government, they transferred it to nature. Now, there is no such thing as nature, as an entity. Nature is just a collective noun. If you speak of nature, you are personifying the wind and the sun, the moon, the stars. So you cannot speak of nature as a source of anything. Now, they made nature the effective governor and lord and uh, controller of all things. But this was only to transfer it by degrees to man, because Darwin came along and said, well, nature is red and tooth and claw, in effect. Nature is just blind chance. So where is the reason, the power, the government in the universe? It is in man. And this was logical. And of course, the Marxists said exactly that is what we're trying to tell you. Man, therefore, must take over and become his own god or the governor of the universe and absolutely predestine everything. This is why the libertarians are obsolete, so to speak, because they are resting their premise on a kind of a deistic position, nature, a natural law, and so on, in this deistic conception, which is exploded. And your choice really is to take the two basic alternatives, God or man. So if you want to be logical, you have to say it's either Marxism or it's Christianity. They will agree, yes, they will agree. But man is going to become the creator, and man is absolutely going to remake the universe. He's going to do everything. He's going to make a new sun, Kenatur, uh, British astrophysicist has said, when this sun dies out, he's going to colonize the whole universe. He's going to be his own god. And uh, Dr. Houston Smith of uh, MIT has said, uh, we've got to recognize this scientists are playing at being god. This is the future of science. This is everything. The program of science. And what is going on what? No, the significance of that is entirely oil. And the Soviet Union is simply using the Arabs in order to close the whole of the Middle East and its oil to the Western nations. This is the issue. And even though the Israeli government was actually closer to the Soviet Union, in terms of uh, strategy, they decided in favor of the Arab countries, and so they are using them.
They are socialistic governments, basically. Atheistic. They have had very close ties with the Soviet Union, so this has been a major uh, blow to them. And of course, now they have close ties with us, they think. But anyone who is our friend these days is sure of one thing, they're going to be sold down the river. <laughs> our, yes. This is Bishop uh, Myers, uh, who succeeded Bishop Pike. Yes. 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 No, no. This is Bishop Myers, and first you are having now, the, you have had the meetings of COCU, Committee on Church Union, to unite the ten major Protestant denominations. And you can be sure of this, that already behind the scenes, the plan for union has been set up. Then uh, there will be union with the Roman Catholic Church, and then the other religions will be brought in. This has been already mapped. There are committees that are uh, working on all aspects. The one world religion is in process of formation. Our time is virtually up, but there are a couple of items that I do want to pass on to you. One is from a very interesting book by Earl Latham, who is a political scientist at Amherst. The book is The Communist Controversy in Washington from the New Deal to McCarthy. Now, for a liberal, the book is very interesting, and he doesn't deny the communist conspiracy. He gives, at some point, uh, not as good an account as a conservative would. At other points, uh, he has information that I think contributes a great deal to a conservative's information on the communist conspiracy. But to him, the whole anti-communist movement is irrelevant. He is ready to concede, I think, at almost every point, that we are right when we say there is such a conspiracy and that it has done this and that his did this and that, and that you had the various cells in Washington. But he says, and I quote, there can be no such thing as a political heresy in a democracy, because there can be no such thing as a political orthodoxy. Heresy and orthodoxy are the concerns of theologians, unquote. In other words, the whole anti-communist movement, he goes on to say, is simply an expression of Christian fundamentalist conservatism. Why? We believe there's a right and a wrong. But there are absolute standards. And so, with our fundamentalistic perspective, we look at the anti, at the communists, and we become anti-communists. We say they're bad, and this, our Christian constitutionalist heritage, is good. Therefore, we have to be against them. 
That's being very naive. That is assuming, you see, there is an absolute good and an absolute evil, and therefore we can say certain things are evil and certain things are good. And this we cannot do. We have to be relativistic. This, I think, is a very interesting, a very sophisticated book because it is ready to concede the truth of the conservative argument that these communists exist and that they have done certain things, but it denies the premise that there is a good and an evil, and we have the right to make judgments on that basis. And this is why anything but a Christian conservatism is going to go down the drain. Because unless they have the Christian perspective that there is an absolute right and wrong, how can you answer this man? He is right. Anti-communism represents, I prefer not to use his terminology, I, uh, I prefer to say an orthodox Christian perspective, a belief in the Bible as the infallible word of God. And it rests basically on this Christian perspective that there is a right and a wrong. And unless the conservatism rests on that, it isn't going to stand. It's going to go down the drain. And that's why it is basic to any real conservatism that it begin with Bible study, a knowledge of the Word of God, a systematic knowledge of it, and that first last knowledge is the Christian. Then the other item, and with this we shall conclude, very interesting statement in a critical and biographical study by Robert L. Delavoye of Hieronymus Bosch, B-O-S-C-H, the very brilliant and strange artist who died in 1516. Now, I won't go into the argument about Bosch by Franger and others that he may have been involved in the Adamite cults of the time, which would be comp comparable to some of our new left and occultist movements. Others say, of course, he was actually trying to condemn these movements in his paintings. But at any rate, in the course of his discussion, this writer, who is definitely far removed from anything we believe, makes this statement. I quote, Professor Pukit of Gottingen University unearthed the recipe for a stimulant named Witches Pomatum in a 16th century book, made some, and tested it on several persons, all after a deep sleep of 20 hours had the same tale to tell. All had dreamed of flying of orgies in the company of satanic creatures, of visits to the netherworld.
to suggest that Bosch may have used similar means to attain a region of the personality normally inaccessible is in no way to belittle the value of his work." Unquote. With that, we stand dismissed.